0: Hello welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week we're taking a deep dive inside the working day of Russ Thomas. He's just published his debut crime thriller, Fire Watching. It's a police procedural set in Sheffield. Although we do talk about why initially the procedural part of the story didn't really hook him in until suddenly he became very keen on it. We find out why. Also we chat about how this book has been a long time coming and how it grew from a short story. And also, Russ confesses to something that, to be honest, I think few authors would.
1: I love the editing process. And once those words are down on the page, it's the complete opposite of that first draft fear. I just love immersing myself in it, moving the words around, changing things, changing the structure, thinking, oh, actually, that scene doesn't work at all. I'm just going to cut it out. And I find that the most liberating Experience.
0: More on the way in just a sec with Russ Thomas in this week's Writer's Routine.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car
0: keys in a fish tank. My name's Dan Simpson. This is Writer's Routine, the show where we take a look inside the working day to steal some of the scheduling secrets of the world's best writers. This week, we're taking a peek inside the day of Russ Thomas. In just a sec, first, uh, you've not got long left to make the most of our fantastic Scrivener offer. Remember, we can save you 20% on what I genuinely think is one of the best writing tools around. You see, for the rest of April, they are supporting the show. And we've managed to sort you out with this discount. 20%. If you've listened to the show for a while, you'll have heard all about it. So many of our authors have raved about how easy Scrivener has made telling their story. Uh, It's a brilliant tool, it lets you plan, it lets you plot, it lets you move around, it lets you research easily the way that you write. It helps you so simply store everything in one place with nice connecting lines, a really easy to use pinboard as well that lets you keep track of the myriad ideas and paperwork and research that you've done. It can all be in one place. Now Scrivener was created by writers for writers. You see the lead developer, he had the idea for the app because he couldn't find the right software to help him with his own novel writing so he built the app Uh, it won't write for you but it will give you everything that you need to start writing and keep you going and as this lockdown is carrying on being extended who knows when we're going to stop being stuck at home if you are if you do want to use this time and finally get that novel out that's been kicking around your head I really think Scrivener will help out with that and we've got you this offer you can save 20% on scrivener over at literatureandlate.com by using the code routine if you use the code routine r o u t i n e you will get 20% off scrivener over at literatureandlate.com now this week our guest on writers routine is russ thomas His brand new book is a police procedural. It's set in Sheffield. It's called Fire Watching. It's all about DS Adam Tyler, who is tracking down a serial arsonist. It's not just about him, though. We do talk in some detail about the other character that came along and how she suddenly snapped the story to life and really forced Russ Uh, to tell the tale and why it really helped him out Uh, we also talk about why setting it in Sheffield was so important to Russ why he wanted to write about a city that he loves and as I said at the start it, it started as a short story and it grew over many many years and we talk about why how it changed how it developed and what finally happened with the story that got it published also Russ used to work in a bookshop And he did that quite... Cynically is not the word, but he did that for a reason. He wanted to learn about the trade in the hope that it would make him a better writer. What types of stories sell well? We talk about what he learned from that and how things are changing still as he writes his second novel. That's all on the way after we dive into it, as we always do, with Russ Thomas, uh, starting with what he sees around him in the place where he sits down to write.
1: I mainly work at my desk at home uh it's facing the window so i've got a view a sort of semi view across sheffield it's not the most glamorous view it's mostly the backs of houses and flats and things but it's got quite a nice skyline um anyone who's following me on twitter occasionally sees photographs of nice weather or awful weather coming (laughs) through the window um and right in front of me is the back door to a little local coffee shop which i go to sometimes and i find that quite fascinating that, that I, I like the the back doors sort of establishments that you see mostly from the front and then you, you see the other side where people are taking smoke breaks and things like that i think that's the more interesting part of
0: is it is it cd they- because the thing is it shouldn't be cd because it's a coffee shop in sheffield but when yeah. you're talking about the back door I mean,
1: no it's not it's not cd at all but it's it's just that it's seen behind the curtain, right, isn't it? It's yeah. that Wizard of Oz moment where you get to see what you're not supposed to see. And, uh, yeah, I find that quite fascinating. There's also, there's a fire escape right outside my window. And I often, there's a there's a, a couple who, well, I'm, I'm assuming they're not a couple, a man and a woman, work colleagues, who gather out there to vape and have coffee and gossip about work, which is just brilliant. I, I can't quite ever quite hear what they're saying, which is annoying, but um
0: it's i just like the idea of it (laughs) so you've got that going on in front of you talk to me about the room around you so the room
1: so it's my living room it's very um it's very stark it's very ikea uh mostly tidy lots of books a couple of plants um that's about it really
0: anything on the walls that that provides you with your inspiration
1: I don't really do pictures on walls very much it's it's also it's a rental accommodation so you're not supposed to put pictures on the walls I I have a couple which I do anyway Um, I have a picture that my friend made me for my 40th birthday Uh, he's a graphic designer and he produced uh, my book with the cover on this was long before I got a publishing deal Um, not the cover obviously that's being published but the uh, a a mock up of a penguin style cover, uh and he 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 basically copied George Orwell's nineteen eighty four and, and did a biography on the back as if I was Orwell, which is very pretentious, but was a lovely presentation. That's an to incredible get. gift. Yeah, it's and really really thoughtful and um and I think it shows how much people believed in me, maybe more so than I did.
0: <laughs> how many years before getting the publishing deal had you notionally finished this book for yourself
1: um well that's a good question I mean I started it it was based on a short story which I wrote I I can't even remember when but probably the um late 90s or early 2000s um I actually started work on the book in Uh, 2008 when I started I did an MA at Sheffield Hallam University in writing and I kind of I took this short story and and built around it so it started then it sort of finished the first time when I graduated two years later because you had to write the whole thing in order to to graduate but then I got a a kind of a decent mark but not not really an outstanding mark and quite a lot of comments about it. Uh, from the tutors which was great put it away for a while then did another draft started sending it out to agents got knocked backs put it away again for a year uh so it it's it's probably it's probably been properly finished about four times <laughs>
0: <laughs> i want to pick up on just uh, uh, later on and that, we would that was this.
1: before we even got to the editing stage as well which of course so even when it was when i got the publishing deal it's not then finished you then work with an editor copy editors so it, it still it still evolves. It still changes.
0: It's fascinating to hear the gestation of the of a book like this, especially a debut. Um, I'm going to remind myself to pick up on that in a second. I just don't want to leave the, the, the room just yet. Um, so you're sat there. You're on your desk. Talk to me about what's on the desk. Is it full of clutter? Is it fairly minimalist?
1: A bit of both. It, it's minimalist when I've tidied it. Okay. Um, but I don't necessarily tidy everything away at the end of each day. And, uh, you know, I tend to leave my work out because mm. it's a bit easier to get back into it it has um is a printer monitor um there's a small little award which i got as a um, when i worked for waterstones i won the bookseller's bursary which was for writing and that again was a big moment for me when i felt that oh i could do this this is this is people taking seriously what i'm trying to do and and so that that was really brilliant
0: you mentioned that you have your work out. If you're just working on a monitor, well, what constitutes your work?
1: Well, I will always have a notebook, which I've jotted things down in. Um, I was jotting things down on the train on the way here today in that. So that's that's pretty much always on the side because it's where for each project I'll have a separate notebook and I'll dive in and out of that or make notes as I think of things. Because although you can do that on a text document, it's harder. I don't know, I, f- I find it, maybe it's just the old fogey in me, but I find it harder to access things like that. I always think, oh, where have I put it? Where have I put that note? Have I saved it in? What file have I saved it in? Whereas I can flick through a notebook a lot
0: easier and quick, more quickly. If I were to walk into your your living room where you are writing, yeah, would I have any clue as to what you were writing, the story, what you were writing that day? Have you got post-it notes places? Yes,
1: often, or it depends on the stage the novels at but uh, certainly in the formulative stages when I'm first starting I have post-it notes all over one wall don't tell my landlord <laughs> <laughs> and yeah they're all they tend to be different colors depending on the different points of view of the characters so I'll have my um, main character in one color and then a different completely different color post it I find that really useful because it's easy to spot. I put put them out in order, of the story, and then it's easy to spot, hang on, we've not heard from that character for a while. We, I need to bring them back into the story. Or I, if I think I've got too many scenes with one character in, I can jiggle them about on the wall. You, there are ways of doing this on um, computer as well, obviously, uh, but I just find it a lot easier to work in real life with bits of paper, unfortunately. It's quite difficult to pinpoint because I don't know if there is an average day there must be an average day but they're all so different and it depends on the stage that I'm at at the very start of the project I find it quite difficult to write that blank page is, is is as scary to me as I think it is to to most people and I tend to write in short bursts so I'll do maybe an hour or two at most. I, I work best first thing in the morning, so I'll get up um, relatively early, unless it's been a heavy night the night before, <laughs> but usually early. I'll start work straight away. Sometimes I'll go to a coffee shop and start work there and because and, I, I tend to, I, when I'm doing first draft, I like to work away from my desk. And it's sort of, there's something about getting out that, says, oh this is work time now. There's no I can't sit at home and do something else instead or mess around with some financial spreadsheet or look on the internet or do Twitter or something. If I'm if I'm on uh if I'm in a cafe I'm I'm working. So that that's yeah. And then I'll maybe do an hour or two hours probably at most. And then uh after that it's kind of admin tasks and things like that in the afternoon. Sometimes I'll go to the cinema Go to cinema quite a lot. Uh, I feel a bit apologetic about that, but on the other hand, it's also storytelling, and I think it's important to immerse yourself in all types of story: film, television, novels, obviously poetry, all kinds of things. Uh, if it's a really good day, I might go back and do another hour or two in the afternoon, uh, but 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 not often. I always I, I feel like if I've written two or three thousand words, then. That's job done for first draft. After a few months, once I've got a first draft down, it then changes dramatically. And when I'm redrafting, I can sit at the desk from first thing in the morning till last thing at night. And sometimes I forget to eat or drink I don't get up as often as I should I've I've now got a Fitbit on my wrist to tell me to to get up and move around because I get so I love the editing process and once those words are down on the page it's the complete opposite of that first draft fear I just love immersing myself in it moving the words around changing things changing the structure thinking oh actually that scene doesn't work at all I'm just going to cut it out and I find that the most liberating experience
0: how do you know where to start with your with your editing when when you've got the first draft down and you sit there knowing that I'm going to be here for the whole day probably yeah how do you know where to begin
1: um I tend to work through it in order I've I've usually got a rough idea of the order that things are happening in our, by the end of the first draft uh I'll sometimes I don't sometimes I it's at that point I have to go back to the planning stage and start Re, literally back to the wall moving the post-it notes around thinking actually this scene would be better here or this would make a much better opening if i move this forward i also have a couple of friends who i swap work with they always see it at first draft and they give me feedback and comments and i'll quite often take those on board they're nearly always right <laughs> <laughs> uh nearly always not always but nearly always And then I just worked back through it in order. I might... I I suppose I'd tend to try and do the bigger tasks first, the the big structural changes, if there's anything like that. So the draft, the book I've just written, I had to merge two characters into one, which was quite a big change after the first draft. Why was that? Uh, There was too much going on. When did it it become clear to you as well? My agent told me... (laughs) um she's good at that it i think i do tend to throw everything in and and try and do a bit too much so it's it's often the case that a second draft for me is cutting trimming honing things down making it more accessible but i don't think that's a bad thing to do i think you, if you've got too much at least you've got something to work with whereas i'd rather have that than get to the end of a draft and it only be 50,000 words and think oh there's another 40 to 50 to come from somewhere I don't know where that's coming from.
0: When you have to make that decision Mm. you're going to merge two characters two characters that you've thought about that you've written words for that you've written speech for how how do you even begin to merge these characters without fundamentally changing the essence of your story?
1: Uh, Well they were both in this particular case they were both secondary characters they weren't major characters and i realized that they were there doing the basic the same basic function in the story so it wasn't massively difficult one i decided to keep until probably the following book so i used i used the character of one and just changed the scenes that the other one was in to fit the character that I wanted to keep if that makes sense so that means um, obviously you can't just change the name of the character you have to rewrite all the dialogue because the dialogue will be different sometimes motivation is a problem so you, you might think well yes I need this character to do that but on the other hand this character wouldn't do that because that's not his character he's, he's, he's not the sort of person that's going to do something like that so that's a bit more tricky but then you just have to find a way around it or rewrite the story to find a way around it
0: <laughs> earlier on you mentioned if you had had a, a if it was a good day you said you might come back to it in the evening yeah how do you know what is a good day is it is it just a feeling inside are you feeling particularly peppy about the story that day well, what makes it good
1: uh, it could be a couple of things. I think sometimes just word count is good when it's first draft. If if I can get if I can get more than two thousand words down a day, then I'm happy. That's a good day. But sometimes it might only be fifteen hundred. But I'll have written a scene I really, really thought works well and and is great. And I think well that 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 feels good too. And then I might feel more inclined to go back and write a bit more because I don't feel like I've done enough words for that day Uh, it might just be more ephemeral than that it's just uh, how you feel that day whether you feel tired or irritable or I mean I'm very lucky that I have the sort of job where I can make that decision that if I don't feel like it I can not work can't not all the time not when the deadline's looming I have to kind of force force myself through but yeah a lot of people don't I I understand that I've had other real jobs before and I know you don't always get you have to turn in when you're feeling a a bit rough or a bit down or you just don't want to work you have to do it but thankfully I don't and sometimes it's not even a good idea to force yourself to do that because you I'll often find that even if I've walked away from it I'm still thinking about the project it's still going around in my head and when I come back to it that massive problem I had has somehow fixed itself I know that sounds really weird no it's something it's something I get a lot but yeah
0: yeah it's something I'm going I I do get a lot and I'm, I'm really trying to figure out why and how that happens for writers why uh, many people will do it with exercise they'll go and take a long walk with the dog they'll go and run and then they yeah. come back and everything's become clear and it, and it makes me wonder rather philosophically is is it is, is is it's like is the story already invented in your brain and, and it's just you you almost putting the jigsaw together is it all there or or are you actually i know that sounds rather <laughs> bizarre and philosophical. no i think
1: i think there are there are far cleverer people than me that have tried to work this out and i'm not sure anyone has the answer i think so much of the creative process happens subconsciously that it is it's it's partly to do with that um it's just about sometimes i suppose not even just creative but but any kind of problem you're trying to solve sometimes Stepping away from it, switching off from it, is when you solve it. When you when you come to a realization, I think that's maybe more about the way the human brain works. That sometimes sometimes it's worth puzzling over things, but other times it's worth stepping away. And that crossword puzzle you were looking for just comes to you <laughs> while you're washing up. I don't know. I don't do crossword puzzles. <laughs> I, don't know. I really struggle to get those words down to start with so just getting them down whatever form they're in I, i've i've i a lot of people have told me this over the years but i've really come to to understand it that you have to as a writer you have to allow yourself to write rubbish the you have you have to accept that the first words you put down and not the words you're going to use that that this idea you've got of a story in your head isn't going to come out of your pen or Fingers typing fully formed, and it's a craft like anything else. You've you've got to hone it. You've got to work at it, the same as a carpenter would a, a piece of wood until it becomes a table, or a musician would with a piece of music or or anything like that. It it's something that takes time and effort, and you have to try it and go over it and again and again and again. Same as a painting, it's built up in layers. You don't you don't immediately paint a masterpiece you have to put the base coat down first
0: i like that analogy a lot i've, I've never heard <laughs> it's that. it's a very
1: that. mixed analogy <laughs> yeah
0: I'm, i've never heard that metaphor but i i enjoy it um listen lastly on the day because this is your debut i, I was wondering re- reflecting upon how you work apart from that you work best in the morning mm.
1: um not always first draft i do First so draft. When it, sorry, When yes. it comes to to redrafting, I can sit there all day, and often that's when I'll work into the evening. And if, if I'm going to work into the evening, and I sometimes have to force myself away from the desk because I realise I might not be redrafting in the best way. I'm I'm too tired now, but I'm I'm desperate to go on and get another chapter done and get through.
0: Why do you think that is? Is it just because the creative process, actually inventing this something from a blank page, is so exhausting?
1: Yeah, I suppose. I suppose so. Yeah, well it's it's tiring like any anything you're concentrating on it tires you. So I don't think you're probably doing your best work after 8 hours sat at a desk. It might be better than it the last draft and mm. then when you go back to it the next day you go over that bit again and you think oh yeah I was I was tired when I was doing this and you, but you hone it a little bit further and
0: I, I, I was curious about that. that I mean, the, the first three hours. So when you are working in your first draft mm. and you can only keep yourself concentrating for, 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 for two hours or so, why is that? Why, why is that so much harder to do than it is for you to plonk yourself there all day and edit as long as you'd like?
1: I think because you're making stuff up. It's It's, it's as simple as that. And telling stories takes a lot of, invention you and also not just not just a random story but it's got to fit where you've been where you're going the the setting you're writing in especially if you're as I am writing a a series so you've got set characters you want to develop those characters but you've got to try and get that to fit the story as well you're trying to make sure there's a good sense of the place that that this is happening in all that kind of thing it's a lot to think about in one go and you you are literally making it up in your head and I, i think there's something i i find there's something far more grueling about that than once it's made up thinking do you know what that bit doesn't fit there that that makes no sense why would they do that or why have i said uh this character has a limp when clearly it would be much better if they had a twitch or something (laughs) i don't know
0: no i can i completely get it and perhaps it's like a room isn't it perhaps designing a room is so much harder than moving the furniture around every now and then yes
1: yeah that that makes sense
0: perhaps that's the same thing listen very quickly getting back to the last question about your day um knowing how you work now for your first draft uh sorry for your debut what have you learned about the way you work that you might change about your day for, for, this, for the rest of the books in the series?
1: Well, the debut didn't work like that, of course, because I've written it over the past 10 years. So mostly that was writing in snatched moments between working full-time and living a life and all the other things that people do. Uh, so that was a very different process. Writing this, the second, the follow-up, is how i've kind of honed that honed that day and it has been a massive learning curve steep learning curve because suddenly it wasn't my intention to wholly give up uh work and and to focus solely on writing but um for various reasons that that's what happened and suddenly i had a whole day to fill and no boss but myself and obviously the people I have to deliver the manuscript to but you know you don't hear from them for months at a time you've got to you've got to work out how to do that yourself and that was really difficult Uh, I think I'm only just a year on beginning to work out how I work best and, and and how that works so yeah I feel like it's been a year of change and a year of discovery that's hopefully the next book will be a little bit easier <laughs> although from what i know from writers who that doesn't that's not true <laughs>
0: We'll get back into it with more from Russ in just a sec. First, I want to give you another little nudge towards our Patreon page because I know times are quite tough, but it would really mean so much and it would really help the show if you did just pledge a really small amount every single month over on our Patreon page. If you've learned any tips in the 100 episodes or so that have helped the way that you tell your stories, you can say thanks just by pledging a dollar or so a month. It just helps us carry on ticking over uh, during these very strange financial times Uh, it helps us bring you interviews with the best authors around as often as we can I promise you it doesn't have to be much anything that you can spare right now means so much it's absolutely amazing Uh, you'll get a couple of trinkets in there as well little bits of merch to say thank you from us and it just helps us carry on bringing you these episodes Uh, you won't be alone as well we've got some fantastic backers over on patreon Uh, backers like sonia who's been supporting the show uh, for a few months now
1: hi i'm sonia and i'm a patron for writers routine because i find the advice in the podcast is really helpful for my own writing
0: massive thank you to sonia for sending that in uh if you want to be like her be like Sonia in these times. Uh, you can do that. Just help the show out in any way that you can over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back into it then. Talking to Russ Thomas about his debut thriller. It's called Watching. In this half, we talk about what selling books taught him about writing books. We also talk about the character that absolutely changed everything and why adding a second viewpoint massively helped him. Uh, and we get back into it with the start of the idea remember it all stemmed from a short story how did it grow from then
1: the short story I wrote was about an elderly woman who was suffering some form of dementia uh, and gradually as her mind was unraveling towards the end of her life she was reliving the past and through the story you found out how she'd got basically her entire life but in the space of a few thousand words and i did it almost as a an exercise in creativity because i i very much wanted to write the sentences the paragraphs as though so that they the, the sentence would start with her in the present and then finish with her in the past and so it was it was almost a it was more of a mechanical thing. I just wanted to play with form and experiment. And that was the story. It was, I think it was fairly, I haven't read the story for a long time, but I think it was probably fairly impenetrable <laughs> to read because it didn't, it was unforgiving on the reader. It just moved in and out of past and present and you just had to try and work out what was going on. But I I felt like that was important to to try and understand where she was and, and that idea of, Um, I obviously I don't know what it is to suffer dementia but that the way the past can feel so close that it becomes the present and and almost as though she was sort of moving in time backwards and forwards that's how it started and then I I remembered this story and I, I kind of wanted to make more of it because I thought she was an interesting character and wanted to find out more about her so I introduced a few other characters had them kind of uh, mixed up together, and I took it to my tutor at the time, Leslie Glaster, who's a, a fantastic novelist. And she said to me, "You, uh, I really like your writing. I think it's great, and I think your characters are fascinating and really interesting. But what's going on? Where's the plot? What's the story here?" And I had to say, "I've no idea. I, d- I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing." And she said, well, you, "You better go away and think about that." <laughs> so I did, and. I threw a body in. I just thought, why not? That's that's what you do for story, isn't it? I, I've obviously read a lot of crime over the years and um, watched a lot of crime dramas. And I thought, well, what if the secret in this woman's past is is perhaps quite a dark secret and perhaps she knows something more than we found out in that original story? Uh, and so, yeah, so she became the neighbour and her body was discovered in the house next door and it becomes clear quite early on that she knows more than she lets on.
0: And then where does where does the where does the arsonist come into it? Where does where does DS Adam Tyler come into it? Be- because I'm I'm thinking that when you've got when you're building on short stories and ideas that you've had through many years and then you're told, hang about you need a plot with this. Yeah. Sitting there and forcing yourself to think of a plot can can be quite as I say forceful yeah Um how did you turn these scattered ideas about what you wanted it to be into it into a the proper plot that is in the book just there
1: I wish I knew the answer to that because I could do it again um, that's the point of the show let's find <laughs> it it's um so once I had a body it then became oh. obvious to me that I needed someone to investigate what had happened and I, I kind of resisted writing a police procedural at first because it wasn't. I, I suppose I didn't want to do the research. I just I couldn't be bothered. I didn't want to find out how the police worked and all that kind of stuff. And it's also not necessarily what interests me most in crime thrillers. I like a good police procedural, but the actual everyday procedural stuff is probably what interests me least. I, I want to I want to know about the characters. Uh, so I had uh, this guy who wasn't called Adam Tyler at that point investigating but he was a he wasn't a police officer Um, and then I kind of thought well he needs to be a police officer really because I was running out of ways to keep him in the story and to keep him invested so I made him a police officer and couldn't get it to work for ages because his character wasn't right and it, it came down to that and uh, I redrafted it. I changed it from the third to the first person. Um, which was great because it brought it closer to my head. Just as a, as an exercise. But I didn't... It almost brought it too close to my head. Because he certainly isn't me. And I didn't want him to be me. So I changed it back into the third person again. Um, it moved from past to present tense and back again. It, every possible version of this book exists somewhere on a on a disc somewhere <laughs> i did it so many times
0: and then what <clears> felt <throat> right about how you f- finally set upon writing the book that we that is being published it, it were it,
1: it became right two two things happened one i got his character right in my head i, I just suddenly got him and it, it was just trial and error trialing different things he had a different name at first i changed his name and that was a massive step forward i know it sounds really strange but his original name was a much softer sounding name and once i made his i i felt like there was something soft about him and just too um too nice i I think it's probably quite classic of of beginner writers that you you try and make your main character as likable as possible where in actual fact, we like characters who aren't that likeable. Mm-hmm. He's not necessarily someone you would probably get on with in real life, but you want to see what he's doing on the page. And and, and that was a big moment, big step forward for me once I realised that. And it gave, me, it gave him freedom to do what he wanted to do. And suddenly I realised, oh, he's telling me what he wants to do and how he's going to go about it. So that was the first thing, getting him right. And the second was the introduction of Mina, who's the is the other police character, and uh, or the other main police character, the other viewpoint character. And at first she was just introduced as a means to get another perspective on things and and to introduce another voice. And she kind of took on a life of her own and became really interesting. I liked the fact that she she's a sort of lower rank to Tyler. She sees things very differently to him but they complement each other quite well and yeah I suppose it was a combination of those two voices the the other character the Lily character who was the one that was from the short story I don't think she's changed massively she's perhaps got a bit darker from that than that from that first short story but she was always quite well formed but the police characters came later and they took some some hard work to get right and I'm glad I did because I love them both now. And uh, yeah, I knew I wanted another viewpoint character, another voice. In one of the original drafts, she was an older woman. She was a poet. And it just didn't work. I, I, I don't know why. It, there was nothing wrong with that character, but it just didn't didn't work for me. Uh, then I changed her into a policewoman. And... She just came, she almost came fully formed. It was, it was really, it was really odd. And I liked the, the way she, again, is not a perfect character. She messes up, but her heart's in the right place and she wants to get on. She's, she's ambitious. She's got things she's dealing with, um, in terms of how she fits in that all mirrors what the same things that Tyler feels although he's not as um forward about talking about them as, as perhaps Mina would be uh yeah it 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 just it just kind of worked and to the point at which i know uh, from what people t- well there's a lot more of her in the next book because i she's just kind of taken over a little bit when had writing- to drain her in.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Picking up on that point, when you're writing a series, how much of the stories of these characters and their backstories and aspects of their personality are you willfully holding back because you know you've got more books that you need to <laughs> fill? Um, or is it all discovery?
1: That's a good question. There's, yes, there are elements I'm holding back. There are things I've decided uh, which I've, I'm holding back until a later date but they may well change uh I don't know for certain that they will definitely happen um but some of it's discovery and some of it is oh I didn't know she was going to do that or he was going to do that especially with Tyler he tends to do things I don't I really don't expect him to and often it's things that are not necessarily the best things for him to do (laughs) uh but yeah he he, yeah it's a mixture of both I suppose it's 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 a constant battle between how I want him to be for the needs of the story and and when he says to me no I'm (laughs) not going to do that because I wouldn't do that and that's just not my character and then I have to go "Mm, yeah no you're right about that I'm going to have to think of a way that the plot works around who you are that's
0: amazing isn't it that, yeah that, that these two things are, are are constantly in conversation uh listen I
1: and mean, i know that's that sounds really um weird and, and and strange but actually i think that's at the heart of all writing people i teach a bit of creative writing and um i know that creative writing is often taught as character and plot being two separate things but actually in the best books they're always completely linked and interwoven together and the reason your plot works is only because of your character and the the things that they do
0: what do you think you need to start with then is it a good plot is Uh, it a good idea is it great characters
1: well if you're very lucky you have both but uh, it's always started with character for me and then I let them explore a bit and see where they're taking me Um, having said that of course my characters were all fully formed in the last in, in this Book that I've just written, so it was very much searching to find a plot for them to take part in. But yeah,
0: let's talk more about that plot Uh, on the show. We quite often talk about a story as as a road trip, so you know where you're starting, and then perhaps you know where you're going. Mm. And the debate is how much do you know the route you're taking? How many side streets are you letting your sat nav take you down? how foggy is what's in front of the windscreen? How much can you see? What's coming ahead? Try and talk us through yours, if if you can. How did you know where you um, where you were going? Did you know my, the Did you know the ending at the start?
1: No, my journey would very much be fog bound night. The headlamps not working. <laughs> a very even when when your turn notes road. everywhere. Yeah, even with that, they. I'm I'm not a huge planner. I tend to just start writing and then see where I end up, which which again is probably why I end up writing far more than than I need. Um, but at some point you do have to stop and go, right, okay, where am I going with this? And try and rein things in and, and work out what direction it's going. And I'm not saying I don't do any planning. I, I do. Uh, the post-it notes grow as I work. And then I usually end up with... Them in some semblance of order and then some scenes that don't seem to fit anywhere that I just left off to the side and I have to decide whether they do fit and try and make them fit or whether to just get rid of them completely uh, It. I, I've had to plan this one a lot more than the last one because I didn't have the luxury of 10 years to fiddle about with it in my spare time so yes I, I did a lot more planning at the start but I didn't go, I mean, if you read the first draft compared with the second draft, they would be, they were wildly different, massively different, probably about the same, up to about a third of the way in, and then they were, and then there's sort of strands of the first draft that you you can see still there in the second, but other bits of of gone completely and other bits have come in i tend to write in scenes um and that's probably because i write in hour or two hour blocks and i try and get to the end of a scene in that time doesn't it always work sometimes i and actually i found it's best if i leave myself in the middle of a scene because it's easier to get back into it when you okay. come to sit back down rather than starting with a blank page and thinking well, what happens next um <clears throat> but yeah you i suppose i just it sounds awful but i just made it up as i went along i thought what's the next logical step what would the police do next if i was the killer what would i do next if if i was that character what would i do next and it's putting yourself into those places and i think yeah it is about the investigation but it's also about all those other characters as well you may not see into their heads in the book, but I have to be in their heads so that I know that they're doing what makes sense for the for them. Because otherwise, you, you don't want a story where people are just doing things randomly for no. <laughs> well, I don't want a story like that anyway, for, for no reason. So yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of the next logical step. It, it, it's almost like that, like like building from the ground up, I suppose.
0: In police stories and thrillers, more than many other bits of fiction, uh, the sense of place is, is much keener. It's is felt much more strongly than in, in many others. I mean, if, if you talk about, you know, Rebus, Edinburgh is almost mm. a character in itself. <clears throat> yeah. Same with Val McDermid's stories. Uh, yours is set in Sheffield. Yeah. Um, talk to me about bringing Sheffield alive with words.
1: Uh, yeah, it's... I found it quite difficult actually I found it really difficult to write about a place that I was in I've I've, I often written about places I've been I went traveling for a while and I find it quite easy to write little stories set in Vietnam and places like that because it's exciting and different and exotic but then you're I also wanted to write I knew I wanted to write once I realized it was a police procedural I knew I wanted to write a story set in one particular place I did try some other places but it seemed to make sense to do Sheffield one because it's a place I know very well Um, and two because I didn't think it had been done to death pardon the pun Uh, and it's also a city that people know of but perhaps don't know very well it's well known for what it used to be rather than what it is now so I thought there was some room to explore what it is now. And that's what I had to do because it, it's familiar to me living there every day. I don't necessarily pay attention to it in the same way that I don't. I had to really think hard when you said to me, what's around you when you're sitting at your desk? Because I don't pay attention to those things. I see them every day. So I've had to go out and sit in Sheffield a lot and walk in Sheffield a lot looking, looking, looking look around areas that perhaps I wouldn't normally spend a lot of time I always try and go a different way whenever I go somewhere to just see a different street or a different building that I've not seen before Uh, I often take my notebook with me it's about listening to the sounds and smelling the fumes of the traffic and everything else Uh, yeah it was important to me that I came quite late, to Sheffield. I was I was a student. I went there in my early twenties, uh, but I've lived there longer than I've lived anywhere else, and I very much feel it gave me a home when I was in need of a home, and I wanted. I suppose part of it was giving something back. I know that sounds very pretentious, but about perhaps putting Sheffield on the map. Maybe not in the way that I have. Perhaps they wouldn't appreciate it, but. Uh, about saying this is a this is a brilliant city it's the fourth or fifth largest city in the country but so many people don't know that and and aren't aware of what it has to offer and and i want to show that as well as the darker meaner side that obviously has to come through because it's a police (laughs) a police series
0: lastly mentioned being a bookseller, working in Waterstones. What did that teach you? What did being around so many books, taking money for them every day, probably reading fairly widely as well, as booksellers tend to do, what did that teach you about the commercial aspect of writing a book, as in what sells?
1: Um, I think it taught me more than I realised at the time. I mean, I I very much made the conscious decision to work in bookselling because I wanted to write a book Mm. Uh, that was... I've always wanted to write a book since I was... Well, I wrote my first book when I was very young. The first serious attempt to write a book, I was probably about 14. I didn't finish it. Um, I've still got it somewhere. What's it called? Uh, I don't know if it ever had a title, actually. It was a big sci-fi space opera. I dug it out a few years ago and realised I'd basically written Star Wars. I just just ripped it off. Um, I noticed... I suppose I noticed for the first time the advantage I have, if, if if you call it that, when I did the MA in writing and I realised how many writers don't have a clue how the business works, the business side of it. And it is all very well to be a writer and write whatever you want and, and think that the world owes you something. But actually, unless you're writing what people want to read, you're not going to get... Um, you're not going to be... You're not going to find your readership. I'm I'm not saying there's anything wrong with writing just whatever you want for your own pleasure. But that wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to write something that would go out on the shelves that somebody would pick up, hopefully enjoy, and then come back to and recommend to other people. And so that means being a little bit less precious about your darling babies and your incredible world. And that means listening to the people that know what they're talking about, editors, agents. Um, not completely because I got a lot of very bad advice as well as all the the good advice I got along the way so it's the struggle is always there trying to work out how much you hold on to your original vision and how much you you listen to other people but I think it is important to hear those people and 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 listen and then you make the decision and I find that about 80 to 90 percent of the time they're right and and yeah and so we'll see. Uh, but also the way bookselling works, it's that the life cycle of a book is incredibly short. And I think people's expectations are often, oh, I'm going to write a bestseller straight away. It's going to launch my career. And it's that's not the way it works for everyone or even most people the the ones you hear about the jk rowlings are very few and far between everyone always says oh you're going to be the next jk rowling no i'm not <laughs> um but there I, I suppose what i'm trying to say is it gave me a healthy healthy dose of reality it made me realize that it's tough it's going to be tough and perhaps that was good for me because it got me through the harder times where I was getting rejections, and you know, just because I worked in bookselling, that's not why. That's not how I got a publishing deal. It doesn't work like that. I still had to do it the same way as everyone else: sending stuff off, getting rejected, uh, getting told my work's not good enough or not quite what we're looking for. And yeah, it was it was easier to get through that knowing well that's the way it
0: works. And that is it for this week's writers' routine. Thank you so much to Russ for coming on the show. Uh, his new novel, The Debut Fire Watching, is going absolutely great guns online, by the way. I, I can't move when I go on Twitter for just amazing praise of it so so go and check that out you can find out more about it over at writersroutine.com. while you're there get in touch with the show let me know what you think you can find all our old episodes on there as well uh, another way that you can do that is just by subscribing if you've not done the, that yet we're on we're on apple Podcasts, we're on spotify all of those you can also find us at podfollow.com forward slash writersroutine. that will take you to the easiest place uh, for however you're listening to us uh, also while you're online make sure you give us a follow on twitter at writers pod and if you are looking to write uh, during this these very strange times at the moment if you think you need some help with that more help than just the tips that we give you with our authors. Uh, You can get a discount on, honestly, I think the most brilliant writing software that there is. Use the code Routine to get 20% off Scrivener over at literatureandlatte.com. If you can, uh, please do support us on our Patreon page as well, patreon.com forward slash writersroutine So many websites I'm giving you. Sorry about that. And lastly, uh, if you've not done this yet, very simply, just leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Uh, That would be amazing. And I will see you next week we're chatting to Lorna Cook all about her historical mystery novels. That's on the way next week on Writer's Routine. I will see you then. Bye. <music>